Hello and welcome to Use of Force. This week on our walk through North Queens on our way to Fort Totten, we have an instance of use of force that took place in 2015 near the end of our route in Jamaica, Queens. I'm going to read the use of force report now. On Wednesday, April 22nd, 2015, at approximately 2120 hours, six officers responded to a radio run at 16802 Hillside Avenue within the confines of the 103rd Precinct. A male perpetrator was involved in an altercation inside of the location, which resulted in the discharge of one round into the ceiling of the location. Shortly thereafter, the perpetrator verbally ordered seven individuals at gunpoint to extricate themselves from the location. Six 911 calls were placed in regard to the incident and multiple police units responded. The perpetrator was observed by responding officers to be in possession of a firearm. After the officers issued verbal commands to drop the weapon, the perpetrator proceeded to flee on foot. Two officers exited their vehicles and attempted to approach the subject. During the foot pursuit, the perpetrator fired at the pursuing officers and continued to point his firearm in their direction. Both officers discharged their firearms, striking the armed perpetrator twice. The injured perpetrator was removed to Jamaica Hospital, where he was pronounced deceased. A loaded Glock 9mm pistol was recovered on scene. Subject toxicology revealed the presence of alcohol. So that was the NYPD use of force report from 2015. And the person that was involved was named Jonathan Ephraim. He was 30 years old. And I think a lot of the details of this incident are in a way similar to some incidents that we've spoken about before, mostly because Jonathan had many run-ins with the police. I think it was 14 yeah. moments before that happened between mostly Staten Island in New Jersey. And he had been previously classified as uh, emotionally disturbed. And yeah, it seems like another one of these situations where someone has been involved with law enforcement and it, you know, didn't, it seems like the system failed him. Yes. Yes, he had a history of self-harm as well that was listed, that he had tried to commit suicide by drinking bleach. He was just generally considered, I guess, an unstable person. Yeah. One thing that was interesting that I saw, too, that he had tried to commit suicide by drinking bleach in 2003, but then was in the Marines from 2004 to 2007. And he was, he, he was discharged from the Marines for behavioral problems. But I was surprised that he was even able to join after having 
one year prior tried to commit suicide. Mm. Yeah, we don't typically run into that uh, pattern. So yeah. I don't really know what the uh, requirements are in, in some respects. I know people go into military service in order to reform their lives right. or to give direction. So the bar might be pretty low in order to uh, join. But yeah, yeah. he was uh, classified as a bad conduct discharge, right. uh, which involved a fine and 120 days of confinement Yeah, for having an unauthorized absence. There's no elaboration on that. But yeah, he was working as a, a dispatcher for a tow truck company out in Staten Island, and that's where a number of his crimes were, his, his 14 prior run-ins with the law came into play, which is not something that we always have access to. But for whatever reason, in this case, there was a lot more description of criminal mischief and menacing a police officer and reckless endangerment and things like that. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we're not always able to see the details of that. This, this particular incident, there is quite a lot of reporting on the criminal history of Jonathan Ephraim. There is not much reporting on the police involved. I wasn't able to find the names of the police officers that were involved in shooting Jonathan Ephraim. Mm -hmm. The only police officer whose name shows up is it not actually the a police officer, but the chief of de detectives named Bob Boyce. He was, or Robert Boyce, he was the chief of detectives at the time, and he was the person that most of the news outlets interviewed about whether or not the two police officers that showed up on the scene in Jamaica were doing the right thing by shooting Jonathan. And he's no... Robert Boyce is no longer the chief of detectives. He re he retired in 2018, but in all of his interviews, he stood up for his officers and said that they seemed to be provoked and that they were in the right to have lethally shot at Jonathan Ephraim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess in that... You know, it, it is one of these instances where, from that perspective, you know, once you actually get to the that particular moment, I don't know that there was any good alternative. The situation was that uh, they were, you know, Jonathan Ephraim was in a bar with an older gentleman or speaking with an older gentleman, they started to get into a fight and the bartender, it seemed like, tried to calm it down, but 
Jonathan pulled out a gun and shot into the ceiling. And then when the police arrived, ran away, shot at the police, and continued to point his gun at the police. So I think it's a tricky, I don't, I can't say necessarily that the police returning fire were in the wrong, but I think we'd have to look more at what can be done before you get to this point. Right. I believe one of the reports even stated that Jonathan had fired initially and the police did not return fire. And then when he raised his gun a second time, that's when they fired. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I read as well. And it, m multiple reports say that. And this is another instant where the death of Eric Garner is brought up in the reporting as it happened within the same general time frame. It happened less than a year later. Yeah. Yeah, and it was actually the first lethal use of force by the NYPD in 2015. It happened in April of 2015 and yeah, the first the first instance for that year, which at least in the last decade, which we that we've been studying, that's pretty late into the year. So I don't know if the, you know, I'm just supposing that the police officers were particularly careful or that maybe there was some sort of memo throughout the NYPD to be particularly on guard about use of force since they were you know, less than a year out from the incident with Eric Garner. Right. In one of the articles that I read, there was talk from de Blasio about wanting to do a better job of having a, the emotionally disturbed people's unit going along with the NYPD. And this was all the way back in 2015. And that's something that you noticed they are finally taking steps on now? Yeah, this was something that we saw towards the beginning of the year where the city was talking about having units of both police officers and mental health slash social work units go out collaboratively to deal with situations. And it's unclear if that's still going to happen or what we're seeing now is an evolution of that original plan. But now they're going to be sending mental health and crisis workers out to emergency mental health calls without law enforcement involved at all. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really compelling relative to what we see in a lot of these use of force reports retroactively or people really needing to have somebody that's trained in dealing with a health mental health problem i don't know if that necessarily responds to this particular issue because there's right. a firearm involved and that escalates things considerably. 
Right. I I don't get the feeling that they would be sending mental health professionals alone to violent situations or especially if someone is armed with a gun. But I think that's really I I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out um with this new program. It seems to be what people are asking for and it seems to be, you know, when we're going through these incidents, especially some of them when there isn't a weapon involved, it would be it would be a lot I think it could have a lot better endings and solutions for people to actually get the help. Yeah. And as far as this specific instance goes, you know, with with the firearm being involved, it it doesn't say explicitly anywhere whether the firearm was legally possessed or illegally possessed. But somebody that had a history of trying to kill themselves, being discharged from the military in a, in a manner that involved confinement time and a fine, having 14 different instances of being involved with the police, it makes me wonder if that would disqualify Jonathan from having a fire under, firearm under the law or not, because it would seem to me that that should be a disqualifier. Yeah, I would think so too. I'm. I'd have to look more into what the specifics of gun laws are in New York City, but I would, yeah, I would think that probably having a criminal history and a history of a suicide attempt and being discharged from the um, military in that way. All those things combined probably wouldn't make someone suitable for uh, owning a gun. Right. That doesn't mean that that's the case, however. Right. So it's just an example when we when we say, you know, having preventative measures for these sorts of instances, that's what we're talking about, the types of things that minimize the probability that something like this can happen. Right, both both having clear gun laws and also having mental health assistance available for anyone that needs it. Yeah. So I guess I think we've talked about everything that has been reported on in this particular incident. And I'm not sure when this new program is rolling out, but we, oh, it says it'll begin in February. So we'll keep tabs on that and we'll share in this program anything that seems related to what we're talking about. And as always, if anyone has information on this particular incident or any of the incidents that we're talking about, feel free to get in touch. We are looking to learn and share as much as we can. And thanks for listening. Bye.